It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop. And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Good afternoon. Bear down, baby. Yes, sir. Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. There has been a lot in what promises to be a busy offseason, whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and Justin Fields being traded or the execution of the closing on the land in Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast. I'm David Haw, along with Dan Wiederer, talking to you about all things Bears on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can watch us on the 670 The Scores YouTube page. You can play along, watch what we have to say, how we say it, and how we express ourselves. And then you can review us, give us a rating, and have some fun and some feedback. Because you know what? It's almost that time. Dan... They report the Bears rookies over the weekend at House Hall next Tuesday. On Tuesday, the Bears veterans report for Justin Fields' third season, the No Excuses Tour, <laughs> Matt Eberflus' second, a lot of different ways to frame it. All I know is, is it's football season almost. Yeah, I mean, we gave our airport analogy last week and said last week we were just lining up at, before the gate agent started to board the plane. Now I feel like we're on board the plane. I'm trying to find my window seat preferably in an exit row and get settled and then everybody else can get on and we can get this plane going. We're right there now. And it's going to be an exciting time, obviously in the next uh, six or seven weeks. And then when the season starts, then it all goes to a whole different level. After 20 years of covering the bears in Chicago, I would recommend that you expect turbulence (laughs) because if we're going to stick with this air, uh, flight analogy let's do, let's do it all year just we'll do, yeah, we'll all year on, a new yeah. twist on every episode <laughs> so i think there's a lot of things to talk about in terms of the anticipation of what's going to happen uh when the bears actually do get to the field we want to talk about justin fields and his own assessment that he's one of the five best running quarterbacks of all time which i love we'll get to that in a moment i think we want to talk about some of the other things that might be lingering but let's begin with what I, I would term as a deep dive and yeah. a very well done profile of the Bears' new, still new president, Kevin Warren, which is on chicagotribune.com. Get a printed copy this weekend in the Sunday edition. I love the Sunday Tribune, I love still the Sunday newspaper. But Dan, you d- devoted a lot of time, many resources. And you crafted another masterpiece in talking about Kevin Warren, the new Bears president. David, I'm excited to talk about this story because I think it will really kind of pull back the curtain for Bears fans to try to get a glimpse into what Kevin's vision is for what the change at Hallis Hall really is at this, at what Kevin calls an inflection point in team history. And you'll just get an understanding of what he's trying to get accomplished there. I think it's a, a grand experiment, as I wrote in the piece, in what impactful top-down leadership can mean to a professional football team. 
And most people that will push back on anything will say, well, how does this help the Chicago Bears win more games? Kevin does a great job of trying to describe how philosophically he is trying to create an environment that pushes everyone to be the best at their jobs, which includes the people in the football operations side, which includes people in business operations, which includes people all over the building in a way that creates championship momentum organization wide that then hopefully translates into wins on the football field. And it's going to be a fascinating time because Kevin is a, a, a fascinating individual with a lot of think big genes within him. And it's going to be really, really, um, you know, intriguing to watch this unfold under his guidance. I will say this also, you mentioned the, the, the Sunday Chicago Tribune kudos to Brian Casella, our, uh, our very talented photographer, the Tribune for, for getting some behind the scenes snapshots of Kevin that I think will will also give people a little bit of a, a photographic glimpse into who this man is. Brian's one of the best in the business, no doubt about that. So when you think big as an executive like Kevin Warren, I think I always uh, interested in how you think big in this start small and the devil yeah. is all often in the details. And when you are somebody uh, at the top of an organization, you, he pledged to know everybody in that organization so he could do a better job of leading it. So that's where your story began. And I'm just curious, um, number one, I think from a, uh, my own curiosity, why you chose to start uh, by describing the way that Kevin Warren starts every day, or at least did when he took over, and why you felt like it was important and reflective of the type of leader he will become by including his his vow to meet with every single employee at House Hall. Yeah, David, I think it's a glimpse into how organized Kevin is, how structured he is, how detailed he is. And it is a fascinating little pledge that he made, which he also did when he became the chief operating officer of the Vikings, which he also did when he became the commissioner-elect of the Big Ten, which is to go and reach out to every single person who will be working beneath you and under your oversight to get their honest assessment of what is this place? How can it be better? How can I help you do your job better? And in Kevin's uh, description, it's a, a massive time sacrifice. And, and he was doing three or four interviews per morning from the time he started on April 17th at, at eight in the morning. Uh, and he's still going and, and, and hopes to be through all 260 plus employees by the time the season starts. But in his words and his description, David, the level of, of information he can collect and the level of honest detail he can collect from the employees is going to be far greater than he had he tried to organically soak it in and talk to people as he just casually ran into them in the cafeteria or bumped into them in the hallway and tried to get to know them that way. And so a, a very, very calculated, intentional way of trying to get a greater understanding of, of how does this machine work here at Hallis Hall and how can we make it work better? Outside eyes, a fresh perspective. And I think to paraphrase, I think one of your sources that talked about who you know, knows Hallis Hall and clearly knows Kevin Warren, Bears have never had anybody like this at yeah. the top of their hierarchy before. And another person might have been the same person, but referred to him as an absolute animal at yeah. the top. And I think that, you know, in, in context, what does that mean in terms of that mean uh, in the way that he's attacking the job aggressively in terms of him being ruthless? How would you interpret that idea? Because a lot of people could take that the wrong way or, or you know, kind of jump with 
go so you, you use the word ruthless, which is, you're not the only person that has used that that word. But I, I, I Kevin is not to those who know him very well, a, a nasty or vicious person. He just has high standards and his high standards create demands that sometimes are too much for certain people. And by Kevin's own admission, this isn't for everyone. One of the things that he said multiple times to me and we visited a lot throughout the spring and, and summer is that when you raise the elevation, naturally people kind of slide down, you know, and slide away. If you can't handle the climb, you're going to slide and that's okay because it is not for everyone. And so when you, you refer to him as absolute animal, for me, what, what resonates is this idea that he is going to push harder than most people in that building have ever been pushed. He is going to demand things that most people in that building have never had demanded of them. And he's going to try to figure out who can handle it and who can't in a way that, again, creates championship momentum. You, you know, one of the things as we set out to do this story, there's obviously, as you saw, chapters broken up to, to devote to the, the stadium chapters devoted to his oversight and guidance of Ryan Poles as a general manager, but it also starts with his leadership and vision. And, and, and so much of this is about how do you create um, energy? How do you create motivation? How do you set direction for a franchise that has been, I think you'd agree with this directionless for a, a good portion of the, the 21st century. Yeah. And so now this is a, this is a change. It's a drastic change and the results will, will see what they are, but it's certainly a, a push to, to, to get things going in a different direction. One thing that stood out to me, Dan, is in talking to his family and his wife specifically, uh, Greta talked about how he sets the bar so high. And that's yeah. easy thing to say about somebody who has had his success and you hear at the same time he's got a high standard. He sets high expectations. He thinks big. But what I thought was interesting was that her acknowledgement of when people aren't able to maybe, who are around him, working for him or with him, aren't able to either meet that standard or fall short of those expectations, they can become deflated or they become a little downcast. I, I can't remember the exact word that she used, but it made me wonder, and I paused for a moment thinking like, okay, how does this going to reflect what he expects from Ryan Poles? What is it expects from um, uh, maybe even Matt Eberflus to a lesser degree? But the people that work for him directly with him is he setting the bar at a at a realistic height? Because it's, yeah. it has been such a history of disappointment at House Hall. There is a systemic sort of underachievement that we're used to experiencing or witnessing at House Hall. And I wonder how those two things might fit together. It's a great question, David. And I think Kevin's way of explaining it is that he wants to set a bar at a height where people look at it and go, well, that's not clearable. That's unrealistic. Right. And then he says, no, it is. Watch. We're going to show you the ways that we can clear this bar. And, and it's a way of stretching people and pushing people beyond their comfort zone and pushing people beyond their limits to understand that when you are trying to achieve the highest level of success in a cutthroat billion dollar industry like the NFL is, that it requires a certain level of investment and a certain level of push and a certain level of commitment to um, you know, e extending yourself beyond where you've normally extended yourself. I thought it was interesting back in January after after Kevin was hired to hear Ted Phillips, his predecessor, say, I've never seen anyone work as hard as Kevin does. You know, and there's almost a, a touch of irony to that, uh, of Ted being blown away by, wow, this guy's got great energy, and but, but he really works. And, you, and you're going, 
okay, yeah, like, yeah, and and there is a a, a new energy in the building. And even George McCaskey acknowledges that. I, I I love the quote that that George said to me, where he said, like, anytime there is change, you know, there there was there was good energy before, but anytime there's change, there's an opportunity to give it a little goose, which I thought was a very George McCaskey like way of, of telling you what they're trying to do inside the building there. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. I am glad, and I knew that you would, but as, as somebody who, um, you know, appreciates these kinds of stories and deep dives, you did revisit the bike accident he had as an 11-year-old, and we know he was in traction for months, and we know some of the things that, how that shaped his mentality, his mindset, and, and everything that followed, but I also felt like I had forgotten this if I had read it before, but the 1440 principle, the way that he approaches every day. Um, explain that and how that might also relate to what we're talking about. He gets up before 4.40 a.m. without the alarm. He works out. He meets with individuals, uh, every employee. The 1440 principle is kind of what guides everything else the way it read. Yeah, no question. And and Kevin was 11 years old in June of 1975 when he was hit by a car in Arizona near his boyhood home. And as you mentioned, spent months in the hospital traction, body cast, unable to walk, told that he may never be able to play sports again, may never be able to run again, and and sat in that bed as an 11-year-old trying to process all of that for months. I mean, put yourself in those shoes and understand how transformative that can be for a young boy who doesn't have uh, a full life's worth of experience to process what's happening to him. And he, he basically said he, he made a, a plea to God that if you allow me to return to full health, if you allow me to to have a, a, a normal life from this point forward, I will never take a minute for granted. So he gets 1,440 minutes every day, and it's his sort of way of paying back thanks for his recovery to give everything he has to those 1,440 minutes. And he'll tell you that doesn't mean he's working, but it means that every one of those minutes has to have a purpose. If he's relaxing, it needs to be full relaxing. If he's spending time with his family, it needs to be full presence. If he's at work and working out, he's got to be getting the maximum out of his workout. And, and you know, some of this sounds, you know, oh, this, this sounds like bluster. You talk to people that know Kevin very well. And I'm very lucky because I know a lot of people from his orbit in Minnesota with the Vikings, people that have worked with him in the Big Ten and people that can confirm the things that he says. You say, is this is this for real? And they'll go, heck, yeah, it's for real um, with Kevin. A lot of the things that he says is 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 what you see is what you get. And, and this is one of those where he just attacks the day with a purpose, with an understanding. One of the other things that I love, David, was the advice he took from his father when he was a, a basketball player in high school and then into college was his dad said, it's easy to score 20 points in a basketball game. Just get five every quarter. 
You know, and so for Kevin, that's a message of like, okay, yeah, that five a quarter isn't that hard. Break down these big grand goals into incremental small goals. And all of a sudden, if you're making progress, 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 a little bit becomes a lot really quickly. So he's able to break things down incrementally because of advice from his dad. I think what you count on from Kevin Warren, 59 years old, who's about at 20 or 21 years older than Ryan Poles, yeah. who works for him. You wonder about that as it's kind of a father-son uh, separation in age, and you wonder if it's going to be a mentor-pupil type of it relationship. The one thing that I thought was important to that was that what you just described kind of fits under the category in the words, and I wrote these down, but calm wisdom is the way that Kevin Warren believes he can help Ryan Poles provide calm wisdom. And there is a calming presence. We talk about all this intensity and all of the activity and all the things that are going to happen on his watch. But at the end of the day, there's a calmness that he can instill as well. And that kind of calm wisdom summarizes, I think, the biggest impact he can have on his young general manager. So I think you'd agree that the biggest thing on Kevin's plate as he takes over as president and CEO is getting this stadium project figured out. The second thing is figuring out how to help Ryan Poles do his job to the highest level possible so that 14 lost seasons are are never repeated and that that there are playoff games played in Chicago and that when the Bears do enter that new stadium, they're entering it with momentum and a team that can compete for championships for five, six, seven, eight years down the road. The connection between Ryan and Kevin in the early stages of their relationship is so genuinely positive right now. These things change over time. We'll see how it evolves and develops. But it's genuinely positive right now because Ryan, by his own admission, is a guy who thrives off feedback and and constructive criticism. And to hear those words out of Ryan's own mouth, and and as someone who's wired like that myself, and I, I said hallelujah as I was sitting in Ryan's office. I said, I know what you're talking about. You know, they're, 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 you are at your best when you're getting consistent back and forth, and you're getting consistent feedback, and you're getting asked questions that challenge you to think about the questions you may be asked the next time you talk in ways that make you do your job better. This is something that I think really lacked in the Ryan Pace era, where I think Ryan Pace – had a lot of positive skills that were never properly developed by the people above him. Okay. And that, that that's my own conclusion that I drew over that's my time take. covering the yeah. bears right. without question. I think it's going to be a whole different era with Kevin Warren overseeing Ryan Poles. And I'll give you two things that I really love from, from some of the exchanges. One thing Kevin said to me that I, I put seven stars around and obviously it made the story as he said, I really want to be his sunshine and his water for continued growth. You know, and so he sees himself in that way that, that I'm not just his boss. I'm not just performing his performance reviews. You know, I am here to to try to raise him to levels that that he needs to go to in his job. He's still a green general manager. He still has blind spots. He's still inexperienced in his job. So anything I can do to help him in his job, I'm going to do. And so you have these examples in the story directly from the general manager himself where Kevin's connections, which, as you know, they extend far beyond sports. They extend into the corporate world. They extend far out into the world in ways that I'm sitting on a Zoom call working on this story with the former CEO of American Express, Ken Chenault, right? Like an interview I never thought I'd be doing, talking to him about the business. But Ryan will tell you, okay, I want to do some things in the analytics department to take our analytics game to a whole new level. Well, I bring this up and Kevin gives me contacts, both in college athletics and in the professional world that I can call up. And now all of a sudden I have new perspective and new ideas that I can apply to a project that I wouldn't have thought about on my own. 
that I wouldn't have thought about unless I called this person. Okay, now I have some thoughts about how can we improve nutrition for our players? How can we improve the cafeteria experience so that they're refueling properly? They're getting the, the proper nutrition. Well, Kevin instantly hits him up on his iPhone. Next thing you know, he's got a, a new contact for David Fema, a guy in Minnesota who, who's a restaurateur there, but also works with the Timberwolves and the Lynx. And, and now Ryan's on a Zoom call with David Fema, getting insight on, okay, here's how you can make things more beneficial for your players. Little touches like this. There's a meeting, David, at House Hall in June, Matt Eberflus, Ryan Poles, Kevin Warren, people in the, the marketing side of the building, and, and the exec, executives from Sleep Number, <laughs> and it came about because Ryan and Matt and Kevin sat down with the schedule when the schedule came out and they saw a pocket in late October, early November, where the Bears have to go to L.A. for a Sunday night game against the Chargers. They've got to come back on a red eye, leave the next weekend to go on another road trip to New Orleans and come back the next week and play a short week Thursday night game against the Panthers. And they took such a intense magnifying glass in this pocket of the schedule that they said, boy, this could be a, a real pothole. And this could be a real pivot point in our season. What can we do to try to enhance our chances of success in here? One of them was, okay, yes, we do we want to create a corporate uh, a partnership with Sleep Number? Sure. But also, if we bring these people in, can we connect our players with some of their sleep experts and sleep specialists to educate them? Can we get them products that on these red-eye flights allow them to rest better, whether it's a mask or a, a flight pillow or whatever it may be to keep them comfortable? These are small examples in like many different areas that all of a sudden are helping Ryan Poles do his job better to help oversee the football team better to help maybe possibly squeeze one more win out of a season. So that's terrific uh, background and that's terrific reporting. But I have to, with all of the great things <laughs> that we hear about Kevin Warren and all the opportunity he has to make those sound like this, this deser deserving praise, got to go into, and I'm glad you did this, you know, the Big Ten tenure, 40 months as the commissioner yeah. of the Big Ten. Well, you know what? He had a $7.5 billion rights deal that he gets a lot of credit for. But I have, a, you know, I have some contacts in, in college athletics that, um, you know, they look at Kevin Warren and I don't want to say they kind of like have this this very skeptical look on their face. But it's it's one that, well, you know, good. Uh, thanks for going back to the NFL. We're kind of <laughs> going to miss you. Not really. I mean, so there's a brusque nature to sometimes the way that he has dealt with people that was described to me that isn't always easy to endorse or you won't hear a lot of people in the college um, realm and in that part of his career be as quick to praise him after he left after you know uh, w when you look at some of the things that were said in his wake after well you know what not all the contracts were finalized and not all I'm glad you addressed some of the consternation surrounding his exit and some of the things that maybe were uh, reportedly left undone and maybe and not all the I's were dotted and T's were crossed. I want to know from your perspective what he, how he handled that criticism and what he had to say for himself. Well, in talking to both Kevin and his wife, they said that that experience of taking on that level of criticism and the harshness of the criticism during 40 months as Big Ten commissioner was something that um, tests you and, and, and Kevin's word forces you to sort of have crocodile skin. And make sure that that you're able to handle that stuff and 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 really understand how difficult some of those things are to go through. His wife described it to me that that being back in the NFL is his wheelhouse. And one of the things that didn't make the story is she said that that Kevin loves that the NFL is unapologetically capitalistic, 
right? Which is a really, really interesting way to phrase things because yeah. in the co- in the college world, we all know what the, what the business of college sports is, and yet there's always that weird gray area where people st- still try to pretend that it's this pure student athlete, scholarly, educational experience when we know what it's become. It's 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 huge industry, right? And so I think there were headaches that came with that for Kevin of trying to pretend that we are going to be chasing multi-billion dollar contracts. And it's okay that we do that in a college sports world where everyone's like, well, what about the student athletes and, and Michigan and Ohio state don't want to play November night games because it's not great. And like, like if we're going to go after the $7.6 billion media rights deal, there are certain things that you have to, to, to accept member institutions to do these things. And so there was a lot there. I think that probably the harshest criticism Kevin took was for his handling of the 2020 season with COVID where the big 10, puts out a schedule, then they come back a, a few days later and say, hey, we're, we're postponing this because we just don't feel safe in the current environment with the medical guidance we have. And then the SEC and, and the ACC and the Big 12 go ahead with football. And then the Big 10 reverses its decision. They put in you know, all the protocols that needed to be in place for them to go ahead. And he was kind of criticized as a flip-flopper and caving to pressure. And, and, and I think you know, Kevin's pushback on that would be there were a lot of people involved in these decisions. I know it looks like I was some overlord, kind of just the only guy making these dictatorial decisions, but there were a lot of people that were trying to figure things out at a time now here in 2023, where it's really easy to look back with revisionist history on. Um, but to your point, it, it, it changed Kevin, I think in a way, and it, and it, it, it forced him to become tougher and it forced him to, to see that, yeah, like there are flaws and anytime that there are flaws, I've got to figure out a way to get better. And one of the things that he brings up is, you know, the Big Ten under his watch eventually hired Dr. James Borchers to be their chief medical officer, a position they had never had in the conference. And COVID said, hey, these are some challenges you weren't ready for. And Kevin said, let's find a way that we can be ready for the next one and brought in James Borchers to, to, to fill that role. Okay, I want to get to the stadium, but I want to follow up on that real quickly because I think that when I read what he, how he handled the Big Ten tenure, the 40 months, and how he responded to maybe the criticism of some of the things that we just discussed. What went through my mind was he is taking over a job and he's replacing somebody who is arguably the most polarizing Chicago Bear employee of the last 25 years in Ted Phillips. And what was the easiest crutch for critics? I mean, not crutch, but if critics would always lean on the idea that, and we're you know, present company included, Ted Phillips was easy to criticize. Yeah. Ted Phillips took a bulk of the criticism uh, about all things that were wrong with the Bears. You know, they need a head of football operations and what are you doing? And he's just, I wondered as I read that portion of this deep dive, how Kevin Warren, who is my opinion, a little sensitive to the criticism that he received after 40 months as Big Ten commissioner, How's he going to handle the inevitable, inevitable criticism and scrutiny he will receive as the Bears team president? Yeah, I, he got. He has to be ready for it. He certainly understands it's coming. You know, and he said that to me multiple times that that you know the honeymoon phase isn't meant to last, and and there are going to be decisions that people disagree with, whether it's on the stadium front, whether it's something he does. Um, 
maybe it's in the oversight of Ryan Poles. Maybe it's a direction they take in a new direction with the football team, whatever it may be. There is going to be criticism and he's just got to be ready for that and understand that, that this is, this is just part of the job. I think he is ready for that. I think he also sees in Chicago an opportunity to awaken what so many people around the league forever have said a, a sleeping giant. And, and as one source in Minnesota said to me, you know, if, if the bears are a sleeping giant, Kevin is about to just light, you know, seven barrels of TNT to wake that giant up because that's going to be the type of explosion that he wants to create in that building so that they understand what it is exactly that they're trying to accomplish. It'll be fascinating to watch. Um, I, I think you're going to see a heightened attention to detail under his watch than we saw under Ted's guidance. I think you're going to see an involvement, an active involvement that wasn't there that I think is the one thing that a lot of people complained about that this is why I referred to it at the start as a grand experiment, because if you then think that that's the, one of the biggest reasons that the bears have failed to sustain success for 30 plus years. Well, now if the involvement creates some of that sustained success, you go, my God, that was part of the missing piece. I didn't hear you use the word transparency. I really wonder how that is going to be affected. And as somebody who does what we do and maybe spends an inordinate amount of time focusing on uh, this, but I do wonder how it'll change at Hallis Hall if perception uh, will affect reality and if they will respect that more than they have in previous regimes. Historically, I've always said that after 20 years of covering the Bears at Hallis Hall and Lake Forest, that there is a institutional lack of respect for the role and how perception shapes reality or affects it. And there's maybe at times it's been as bad as being tone deaf at other times it's just as simple as being unresponsive. But I wonder in your experience now having known him before he yeah. came to Chicago and dealt with him now on the job, is that going to change? Yes. 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 No hesitation in my voice whatsoever. I can tell you, I've spoken to Kevin more since that's a great answer dan i mean to me the fact that you're that certain of it is is telling to me i've spoken to kevin more since the owners meetings in march than i spoke to ted in in the first 10 years that i covered this team and it's an extension of kevin understanding the value of uh, communicating the vision, you know, and understanding who we are and what our role is in educating the fan base and his customer base, right? I, I mean, it's not just fans, it's a customer base and an outside world to what they're trying to get done. It doesn't have to be all protected in-house. It doesn't all have to go through, you know, these these little funnels for, for the message to get out there. I think Kevin is going to be very active, particularly as it comes to the stadium front. And then obviously, as, as the team gets rolling and in, in trying to let the outside world understand where the bullseyes are and what they're shooting at the bullseyes with and, and trying to communicate the playbook so that people understand why successes occur and why failures occur. I think it's going to be a, a, a totally, totally foreign and unfamiliar landscape for us in Chicago and dealing with the bears. And I think it's going to be refreshingly so because I certainly, I think maybe you probably read in this piece, you're, you're learning things, you know, about the leadership and the direction that previously were, was very difficult to learn for no good reason. I'll, I'll grant you that, that 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 is already uh, a noticeable shift in whether it's policy or philosophy. I think it's a welcome one, too. OK, we've got to talk about the stadium because wherever it goes, wherever it lands, I still think yeah. it's going to be Arlington Heights. We both agree that there are going to be hurdles to clear, but I think that they can do that wherever they put the stadium. He has definite ambition and ideas about 
what it will represent, how it will symbolize everything about the Bears, and the stadium design and function will epitomize what he wants the Bears organization to be in his in his ideal sense. Well, look, he built uh, or helped build. I, I want to make that clear because there's there's sometimes you 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 give. Kevin credit for things that other people accomplished under his direction. And so he helped oversee the building of U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, which is widely regarded around the league as one of the best sports venues that, that's around in professional sports. And he is already vowing to top that because obviously there's lessons learned and technology that's improved and, and amenities that, that can be enhanced from where they were in 2016. And, and so Kevin's desire to take whatever footprint the Bears choose, which hopefully will be Arlington Heights with 326 acres of property to, to do just about anything you want and create this fantasy land is beyond anything else in his, in his, in his desire, right? The, the, the top desire is to win a Super Bowl. The second thing is to create the, the, this almost Disneyland experience out at wherever the Bears stadium goes in a way that, that people don't just want to go see a Bears game. They want to go experience the stadium. And he understands that there's a value in creating that kind of, um, he calls it FOMO, right? The fear of missing out. The, 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 I want to be there. I want to wake up in the morning and on game day feel so jacked up that by the time the anthem starts, there's tears in my eyes and goosebumps on my body because I've been anticipating this experience for so long. That is the kind of passion that Kevin injects into to, to some of the things that mean a lot to him. I think we're going to see that when the stadium project gets further along, you know, maybe that's 2024 when they finally settle on a spot, get a shovel in the ground. And then we start to get those renderings, right. That, that all feel so cool to look at. Um, that's going to be fun to see when they finally get to that stage, the level of detail and the touches and the little things that, that they go to try to create the, the, the dominant experience in NFL football viewing. And obviously in a facility that can be used 365 days a year. Well, writer to writer, you did a phenomenal job putting this all together. It's another uh, another example of just your talent and time well spent. And, and I just wanted we, – we covered a lot of ground in what he had to share with you. He gave you a lot of time, and you did a, a lot of great reporting as well. What didn't we cover? And when you think of anything that happened, you know, maybe off the record, off camera, does anything come to mind in, in terms of all the work you put into putting this project together? Yeah, I'll just say this, that, that, you know, we talked about the bike accident, but I think another sort of transformative career moment for Kevin was being part of the Rams when they won their Super Bowl and came back from the depths that the Bears are trying to come back from. Last place team, double-digit losses, really just kind of lose, lost and, and, and have no direction. And then all of a sudden, they find, you know, the magic formula and the magic uh, – connection between the people you know and kevin's appreciation for that journey and and his appreciation for the fact that look like that team was loaded with hall of famers from dick vermeil to orlando pace to uh you know isaac bruce and kurt warner and marshall falk and and i'm probably leaving out a few and yet still as good as that team was they won the super bowl by one yard right and so for kevin that that's an indication of like look how many things it took to have at the absolute highest level and still we needed to make a tackle at the one yard line on the the last play of the Super Bowl so that I could have this Lombardi trophy uh, in my office and my, my 
Super Bowl ring in my, my bedroom dresser drawer, he understands that, that that is something that drives the attention to detail. And so I think that's probably one thing that, that's worth highlighting because, you know, somebody asked me, like, how is he going to help Brian do his job better? How is he qualified to um, envision a Super Bowl champion? Well, there's the answer because he's been a part of one and he knows some of the, the, the secret sauce that went into that, that run with the Rams. And I think that will be helpful to communicating to Ryan and then obviously pulling and pushing some of the buttons himself that get the Bears down that path. Buy a Chicago Tribune on Sunday, the printed version, if you're in the Chicagoland area. Go online at chicagotribune.com. Read all about it. The Kevin Warren Deep Dive by Dan Weeder. It is worth your time, and you will be excited, Bears fans, to get things started next week at training camp. Dan, a couple real quick things uh, unrelated to the Kevin Warren thing. Number one, well, it's kind of related, though. Every NFL team received a check for $374 million because the league profited $11.98 billion in the previous year. I, you know, It's going to take all of Kevin Warren's powers of perception and ability to lead to, create, uh, to, to distract me from the optic that is a team that wants tax certainty in Arlington Heights with a franchise that's cashing a $374 million check and depositing that into the account. That is a lot of dough. Remember the days of COVID when the salary cap had to be reduced because the NFL teams were never going to be able to afford a ballooning <laughs> salary cap. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's another one of those things you look back on and you go, Oh my God, like they literally bumped the cap down because they were fearful of these, these massive biblical losses. And now here we are talking about $374 million check in the mail. I think I got like a six dollars and 95 cent check from, from the IRS for a, a, a you know, late income tax refund that was miscalculated. That felt good to me. $374 million would feel even better. So yeah, there's there's a lot of money pouring in. Um, to your point about the, the stadium and the tax certainty, the Bears are just trying to find the best possible formula mathematically, financially, for them to get this thing done. There's a lot of tug of war that goes on with that. And, and so you have to play the game. You have to negotiate everything because every, every penny counts in the long run. All right, in closing, I'm just going to give you my list of my top five all-time <laughs> running quarterbacks. I'm going to go full Justin Fields on you here. Michael Vick, yes, numero uno. Lamar Jackson, number two. I would think Russell Wilson, number three. I'll give Justin Fields a nod, number four, 1,100 yards, nothing to sneeze at. Made history with over 50-yard runs. I think he's on his way to doing that again if he runs as often. I think he is the best running back in the NFC North. Let's see if he can be a passer as polished as he needs to be. But I will include him in my top five. And then my number five, he said Steve Young. I love the nod to history. I'm going Steve McNair. Okay. All right. I'll, I'll take your list. I got a call from on Thursday morning from someone else in the league. We were having a conversation about nothing related to this. And he said, by the way, tell your quarterback to avoid rankings at all costs. <laughs> you, you know, because the, 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 I mean, there is something to, I know Justin didn't intend to be kind of look at me with that, with that answer of putting himself, but it comes across to certain people when they just see it in a graphic on social media or hear a, a little clip of it as like, man, for a guy that's won five games in two seasons as a starter, maybe we shouldn't be putting ourselves on lists with some of the all-time greats to ever do it. Look, like we know what, what, what Justin's magical gifts are as a runner. He's got a chance to um, refine those and, and push those in the right direction in 2023. Uh, but that was a, a little piece of advice because I do think the, the 
the, as we go into training camp, David, the Justin Fields pep rally is like bordering on intoxicated right now. Don't include me in that. Mix. I'm not. No, I'm not. You I'm are. not. You're, you're reeling me in. You're no, no, I'm not. In. No, I'm okay. not, not there. But I, I'm saying because like my other part, it, it, what's related to this, and I'd be curious to get your take on this is, you know, Justin has this almost like personal social media biographer and Simon Kelly, who's doing a lot of stuff on Instagram and, and yeah. Twitter to show the world just how hard he works. You know, he's at House Hall at 1106. Oh, look at him running the sprint on a high school track. And, you know, and some of it is just like, let's get, let's get to September. Let's, let's play some games. I can see why you would connect one with the other. I am. I am a big, as you know, writers think this way. Don't tell me, show me. And yes. the more that the, whether it's Eddie Jackson predicting having the best safety year ever or Justin Fields having his own personal videographer i do think that it's i'm in the don't tell me show me mode now i will we're, say we're this. old right like and, and I'll, I'll openly acknowledge that we're old and we didn't grow up with social media and we didn't grow up like conditioned to put every single thing we do in a day onto one of these platforms and so yeah. I, I i do give some forgiveness and lenience for that because i realize that i you know I'm, I'm from a different world and a different generation than these guys are but there's certain parts of it where you go my god like you know let's just Let's just get to the season, and then we can hopefully hype up the stuff that actually matters, which is game-winning drives. Like, I would love to be sitting here talking about a tweet that showed all seven Justin Fields completions on an 80-yard game-winning touchdown. Yeah, that's great. And we're going to have all those nuanced discussions, and we're going to evaluate him as tough and and as honest as anybody. I just think that when I'm talking about the running quarterbacks, to me, it's not related necessarily to how many games he's won. Actually, I could make the argument, and I would, that it's, it's because of how many games they've lost that he's had to show us how well he can run. You're right. Because if they were better, he would run less. Look at Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts may be a better or as not, not better. He may be every bit as talented as a runner as Justin Fields, but he doesn't have to show it as often because you know what? He's got time to throw. Yep. So he doesn't have to be hero. So I think that's what I want to remind everyone. No of. question. I, I, and look, like let, yeah, I, I did, I'll emphasize. Justin is breathtaking as a runner. He's electric. It's special to watch. It was a lot of fun to, to have those adrenaline rushes of watching a, a broken play turn into a 55-yard gain or a 60-yard touchdown, and the number of times that we got to watch that. We're going to get to see it again in 2023. Undoubtedly, there's going to be plays that he breaks, and and you say it's special, all-time great at at turning nothing into something. And making it go forward. By the way, next week, I hope we can have like a, a, a I don't are you watching quarterback on Netflix? Oh yeah. Because like my goodness, it. like, yeah, wh- wow. What what an what an awesome production that's been. And that'll certainly be an entry point into to kind of talking more about the position because I think um really well done in terms yes. of illuminating what those guys' life really is. And John D. Filippo used to always talk to me about the quarterback lifestyle, you know, and making sure that guys embrace the quarterback lifestyle. That documentary gives you a, a full-fledged, you know, around-the-clock look into what the quarterback lifestyle really is. That's a great tease. We will drop an episode next week early with training camp beginning Tuesday at House Hall. We're dropping this on Friday morning because of Dan Weeder's great piece on Kevin Warren in Chicago Tribune and chicagotribune.com. Dan, we covered a lot of ground. It was good to get rolling again. The season right around the corner. Hey, it's training camp. I know it's a lot of time before week one, but it's great to get started again. 
And so I think we're going to wrap things up. Anything else that we didn't cover? No, I, I think I hear the flight attendants closing the overhead. Okay, so here we go. <laughs> and buckle up because it's going to be uh, one of those seasons, I, I think, and it'll be a lot of fun to chronicle every step along the way. All right, for Adam Sadzinski, our producer, for Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune, I'm David Hoff from 670 Score. We will talk to you next week when training camp opens. Thank you.